what is this stuff we are downloading? Hello and welcome to the Culture Swally, a podcast dedicated to Scottish news and pop culture. And welcome to our first episode of 2021. My name is Nikki, and as always, I'm joined by Greg. How are you today, Greg? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I think we said Happy New Year last week uh, on the podcast, but... Uh, no, you said Happy Advanced oh, New Year. Oh, yes. Which is apparently what all the kids are saying. I know that because I was editing that episode today. <laughs> However, that episode's going to go out on the 31st. Now, guaranteed, most people probably won't listen to it until after then because they're going to be busy. But yeah, Happy New Year. This is our first brand new episode of 2021. Cool. So you mentioned there people won't listen to this until a few days after probably maybe the third or fourth when their people are starting to go back to work so i know that you you track the countries where podcast is being downloaded so where what countries are we are we looking particularly popular in we're looking very good in the netherlands possibly because i live there and i'm wondering obviously it's because i download it as well to check it but i think we end up on some sort of podcasts from the Netherlands kind of way. I'm not sure how it works. We are quite popular. We had a popular period in the United States. Uh, we, we've had a, quite a few downloads there. We are very popular in the UK, which is is very good. We've had a couple of downloads in Italy. We've had a couple of downloads in Germany, Australia. We're, we're getting quite global wow. there. We're covering all bases. One country we hadn't conquered so far yet was France. But just yesterday, somebody downloaded our entire back catalogue in France. All 10 episodes so far. So, merci mm. to whoever that was. Thank you very much. Very good. Very good. Any, I think, and we'll obviously have some downloads in, in the Middle East and United because I download it as well, the same as you. I think, I think, my, I think my, my wife in a show of support has downloaded the podcast a couple of times, although I'm quite sure that she hasn't actually listened to it or maybe not listen to a whole episode. But um, it's, always, it's nice to feel supported, nonetheless. It certainly is. So let's kick off the new year with a, a nice little global hug for everyone and happy new year to all our international listeners and i hope you have a great year and lang may your lum reek so i guess uh not much else left to say or do but to crack on with uh with the news yeah let's crack on straight with the news uh, have you seen anything in scotland this week that has caught your eye <laughs> This is the Outer Hebrides Broadcasting Corporation, and here is what's been going on in the news. Right, I did. The first uh, story that I found this week, um, although I have to say, before I start the story, I'm reading it off of the Daily Record website, and there's some stories along the top that I'm being invited to click on. And one story is Scott's French bulldog gives birth to 13 puppies, leaving owners delighted. Now, I know exactly why the owners are delighted, because French bulldogs go for about 500 quid each in the UK. I remember a guy I used to work with when I still lived there who had a French bulldog, and they had puppies, and he made an absolute fortune selling them. So uh, I'm sure that's why the owners have been left delighted because that's a good little windfall for the end of the year. And people love French Bulldogs, so sell them no problem. Anyway, I digress. My he- the-, the headline for my story is Dog Walker finds 50-year-old golden wonder Chris Packett on Scott's Beach. And this is uh, Tracy Radnell from Dunbar. She found the plastic golden water, ready-salted Chris Packett on Tynanhaim Beach near Dunbar. 
in East Lothian. She was watching her, she was walking rather, her eight-year-old Cocker Spaniel who's called Bertie on November the 19th when she spotted the dated packaging on the sand near some rocks. The printing was quite weathered, as one might imagine, but Tracy uh, could make out Golden Wonder crisps on the front and she was shocked. She was shocked, Nikki, when she saw the sixpence price printed on the front of the bag. It's the daily records for those of us who weren't born 50 years ago, explains that in 1971, the sixpence was still in circulation, but it was reduced in value. It was taken out of circulation in 1980. I was only two, so I can't remember. Uh, I so I guess when when that happened, then a lot of people were sixpence none the richer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love a pun. Yeah, so Tracy said that the sea was rough that day. It was lying on the sand near a rocky bit of beach. It's from at least 1971. So, hmm, I'm not sure why. Uh, I think they're, they're, they're deducing that it's from 1971 because of the price on the front. She said there's hardly any damage to it. If you see the picture, I mean, I have to disagree with that. It's amazing. But she, she does make a good point, Tracy. She said the discovery should act as a warning about the impact of plastic pollution, adding it's quite shocking how long plastic lasts for. So wise words there from Tracy. But uh, I'm looking at the picture of the of the crisp bag. And it's when, I remember, remember when crisp bags were kind of clear in the middle so you can see the crisps inside. They don't do that anymore. It's... Because they're all foil sealed, you know? You must remember. Oh, no, yeah. I remember. Yeah, yeah. I'm saying they don't put the window in them yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Possibly because of the foil ceiling. Probably more so that you can't see how ripped off you're getting at the fact that there's 10 crisps in the back. I was going to say exactly that. There's nothing... I bought some... Um, I found some roast beef monster munch in my local supermarket uh, a couple of weeks ago and I bought a six-pack. And I ate roast beef monster munch are my absolute favourites. And I remember for many years... They stopped doing them. You could, there was only pickled onion that was available for years and years, and then they they kind of brought them back about maybe ten years ago. They brought back the original flavors and the original packaging, so the roast beef, the uh, the extra hot and pickled onion. And I, I I opened the bag of Monster Lunch last week, looking forward to a satisfying snack, and the bag was probably less than fucking half full. And they, my daughters demolished the rest of the multi-pack because things like that don't last very long in my house um, when you've got two young kids. And I asked them and they said that all the bags were like that. So if, any, if anybody from Walkers downloads the podcast, when Monster Munch were made by Smith's Crisps, the bags were a lot fuller because Walkers bought Smith's Crisps, didn't they? Yeah, they did. So you're saying sort it out, Walkers. Sort it out, Walkers. If I buy a, if I buy a bag of Monster Munch, I don't want I want to just eat one bag. I don't want to have to eat two bags because the first bag only had about fucking ten crisps in it. I think that's a very valid point. Bring back more crisps in bags. I, I can see it's you know, but I think it's similar to we can say that Mars bars have got a lot smaller nowadays. Snickers bars have got a lot smaller, and they have, but crisp bags haven't. But they just put less crisps in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I was shocking. They, they have like Snickers and um, Mars bars got smaller or have our hands just got bigger as they've got older no I think they have gotten smaller right. as well they have like taken a tiny little bit off and they will say it's for health reasons to try and cut down on the, the amount of calories or the amount of sugar and that people aren't getting so obese but we all know it's just a cost cutting exercise and they think we won't notice but we do yeah and it, we do and and they're a lot more expensive than they were when we were kids as well on the on the front of the bag there's a a mascot that I don't like the, the 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 packaging in the Golden Wonder logo is different from the Golden Wonder logo I remember when I was a wee boy. But there's like a mascot on the on the front of the bag, and he's okay. It's that little sort of 
kind of cartoon guy, and he's wearing a he's wearing a berry with like a red kind of pom pom, I guess, on top, and he's obviously eating a bag of crisps. So if anybody knows the name of that mascot, I'd be quite interested to know. I mean, I could just Google it myself, but, you know, maybe I will when I, if we don't hear from anybody, maybe I'll Google it and tell everybody what his name was in the next episode of The Swallow. Yeah, exactly. But where's the fun in that? We will inform you of the name of the Tammy-wearing mascot on the front of Golden Wonder. So what uh, what delightful pieces of Scottish news have you found this week? Well, I felt kind of news-shamed last week. Greg on the Swally. I shared a couple of news stories and you didn't seem to be very enthusiastic about this. <laughs> so I've had to go all out this week. I thought I'd tell some nice quaint stories last week about uh, a lovely guy who stole a tin of custard. Oh. <laughs> and then I, I believe my second story, I, I can't even really remember what my second story was, but it, it, it was a nice story as well, I'm sure. But y- you didn't seem impressed with it either. So I've had to go the whole hog and pull out the big guns, quite literally. Do you own a dressing gown? No, no, it's, it's, it's something that I don't own, a dressing No, gown. I do have one. I only bought one recently just to keep warm, but... You know, we all envisage Tony Soprano in his dressing gown going down to pick up the paper. That's, you know, that's yeah. one of the first things I think about when I think about dressing gown. Not Jack Duff, though. Not Jack Duff at all. Uh, Jack Duff was spotted throwing off his dressing gown before carrying out a solo sex act in clear view of people. Uh, this is from the Daily Record this week. Uh, in fact, today, I think. Uh, a 20-year-old man was filmed, filmed by his shocked neighbours as he carried out a sex act in his garden. Jack came out wearing his dressing gown into his garden. Then he threw it off and carried out a solo sex act in clear view of front of neighbouring properties. Uh, unfortunately for Jack, he was placed under supervision for 18 months yesterday right. and ordered to attend the Tay Project to rehabilitate sex offenders. His details were not added to the sex offenders register. Jack would be very happy to find out. Um, so his neighbours spotted what he was doing and decided to record the incident. Now, I don't know who's worse here. Them for recording it or Jack for just having a little rum-tum-tugger in the garden. <laughs> Uh, Dundee Sheriff Court heard that he had also carried out a similar act. Um, in, so this was the second time he'd done it. Uh, but yeah, so he's got previous for this. And he admitted that he had been carrying out acts of public indecency in uh, Midmill Road, Dundee, on the 21st of March and the 22nd of August. Uh, they were told that witnesses were all neighbours of the accused and they were in the house and they saw him leaving his house with a house coat on. He then removed it and was completely naked. So because of this strange behaviour, they decided to record it. But he seemed unaware anyone was watching. He began masturbating for a short period of time. Then he put his house coat back on and ran back into the house. We have no idea if he finished the job or <laughs> if he finished mid-stroke. That's not in the court details. Then again, on another date, he was seen, but he was fully clothed on the second time. And he was looking at a young female in a garden of a neighbouring property. It doesn't say how young this female was, thankfully. And he had his hand down his trousers and appeared to be masturbating. The witness was upset and started crying. They observed him fully naked in his back garden. This must have been the first time uh, for about two minutes in total. So uh, his solicitor said that it's clear from the witness on the, the second occasion when he was outside, he was completely unaware that he was being observed. This was not a situation where he was deliberately doing it in front of people. But 
That didn't matter to Jack, and he got his 18-month supervision order. I mean, to be fair, it's it's not really the done thing. No, I mean, it sounds like Jack maybe... He doesn't maybe... It sounds like he maybe needs a bit more than just sort of, like, sex offender rehabilitation. Because having a wank in your back garden, is he really doing anybody any harm? You know what I mean? I think if people can see into the garden I, I i don't know the law properly to be honest but i think if people can see you then it's probably not okay uh technically are you in a you're not in a public space but you're in kind of an area where public could see you yeah so i think well i mean example your car if you're in your car parked you're in your own property you know you're not going to start having a wank in your car are you uh, I'm sure probably some people do. We had our guy last week um, who stopped at the side of the road near Livingston in his lorry, remember? And appeared to be banging one out at the end. I wonder if it was Jack Duff. I wonder if he's a lorry driver as well. Because he was naked, wasn't he? He doesn't mention his profession, no. So I'm not sure what he does. Um, he just sits about in his dressing gown all day, wanking in the garden. <laughs> do you think um, Do you think our friend that we spoke about on an earlier episode of the podcast, who pressed his cock against the glass in Little John's window, if he had been like photographed doing that, if he would have to... If he would have to attend sex offender rehabilitation. I think we did discuss this on that episode of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And we did decide that, yes, our friend that that did that would uh, probably get into quite a lot of trouble nowadays yeah. if he was doing that. To be fair, he probably would have got into... Uh, he would have got into a bit of trouble at the time, but I think he would have just got like a cheeky, like, come on, put it away <laughs> from the cops. Whereas nowadays, yes, I, I think he would find himself in probably quite a lot of trouble. I think that he probably would have got a bit more than, um, ah, come on, put it away from the cops. I think he probably, probably got a breach of the peace and a fine, I think. And a caution. Possibly, but who knows? We don't know. I wonder whatever happened to him. I have no idea. I have no idea. I mean, I, well, actually, I do know what happened to him, but I have heard that he no longer exposes himself to restaurant diners and nightclub patrons anymore. Well, there you go. I guess his re- rehabilitation order worked wonders. Exactly. Uh, anything else that you've seen this week, then, apart from anyone wanking <laughs> in the garden? Well, uh, just before we move on, like at the beginning of that article, it's the language that they use. So... They say, I think it was something along the lines of Jack Duff was caught performing a solo sex act. Now, I'm not a particularly bohemian person, but I can't, there's only one solo sex act I can think of that a guy can do. And it's exactly what they go on to explain Jack was doing. It's, I, the, the language that some of these reporters use in the terminology, why don't call it the solo, the solo sex, the solo sex act? To be fair, I think if he'd been fingering his bum hole, that might have been the same kind of thing. To be fair, it does say a sex act, yeah, uh, and then it says the solo sex act. <laughs> so semantics there. Uh, yes. I don't know. Is there any other solo sex act? Yes. He could have been trying to suck himself off. Yeah. I mean, if he... Anybody who manages to suck themselves off, I don't think deserves to be sent to sexual offender rehabilitation classes. I think maybe the circus or something like that. It's a more fitting place. Was there not like a... Was there not a, a sort of urban myth about a, a rock singer who had like two ribs removed so he could suck himself off? 
I remember hearing that. I think that's one of those myths you hear different people. Mm. Was it not Prince? I heard Prince. I heard. I also heard Axl Rose from Guns N' Roses. Yeah, a, a funny feeling I'd heard Tommy Lee as well. Yeah. So it's one of those things. Uh, just looking at the, the photo of Jack Duff, I mean, I think he'd need to get a couple of ribs removed and then probably lose about six stone <laughs> and then he could maybe attempt it. Right, okay. Maybe he just went out in the sunlight to have a look at it because it's probably been a while since he's seen his own tadger, judging by the size of his belly. <laughs> well, um, on that note, I'll, I'll move on to my uh, next story. So this one is uh, this one comes from Aberdeen, like you, Nicky, this story. It wasn't me. Oh, I wasn't there. It wasn't you. So when I read this story, I thought, well, it, the punishment seems kind of harsh, right? And Until I got to the end of the story. So the headline is, Shamed Oil Boss Caged after being caught carrying pink lipstick stun gun. Obviously, for our international uh, listeners, Aberdeen is it's the big oil city of the UK. So a lot of the a lot a lot of a lot of people work in oil in Aberdeen. This guy had quite a senior role. Um, his name's Simon Warren. So I'll read it to you. Uh, a shamed oil boss was jailed for five years yesterday after being caught with weapons, including a pink lipstick stun gun. Simon Warren, forty-six. Uh, pled guilty to having stun guns and a noxious aerosol canister at his flat in George Street, Aberdeen. I scout the girl who lived in George Street. I wonder if, uh, wonder if he lives in the same building. I mean, if, if he does live in the same building as her, that might explain why he's got all these defence weapons in his flat. Uh, <laughs> Um, the dad of two admitted importing the prohibited items from the Czech Republic. At the High Court in Glasgow, Judge Lady Stacey told him, you've had the spectacular fall from grace. You are fortunate you retain the support of your family. The law takes an extremely serious view of the offences you committed. There's a minimum sentence of five years unless there are exceptional circumstances. Given you got these items to protect yourself, that is not an exceptional circumstance. The court heard that the police raided Warren's flat after a tip-off and found the stun guns. The noxious spray was in his car. Prosecutor Angela Gray said when the accused was interviewed by the police, he stated, I'm not a violent man. Take one look at me. I'm not a violent man. I never have been. I'm a frightened man. So he obviously does live in the same building as that girl I used to go out with. But (laughs) apart from that... I've got I've I've no comment. So I've read all that and I've thought, well, you know, that seems quite harsh. Um to be sent to jail for five I'm not saying that he shouldn't have been punished, but to be sent to jail for five years seems harsh. You know, it's because it doesn't say that he's used these weapons on anybody, you know? So he's he's in possession of illegal weapons, but it it's not like it's, you know, a firearm that he's in possession of. It's it's what, a lipstick stun gun. <laughs> lipstick stun gun, like like a really shit James Bond, you know? And basically some pepper spray. Yeah. So I read all that and I thought, well, look, you know, it, these things are illegal. It should be punished. Five years seems excessive. But then I read the last paragraph, which I will read to you now. Warren, who has a previous conviction for possessing child abuse porn and is on the sex offenders register, was formerly in operations with Petrofac, which is a big oil company in Aberdeen. I'm sure that the owners of that company are delighted to have their company mentioned in this article associated with this guy. So clearly he has these weapons because he's on the sex offenders register. And in the UK, if you if your neighbour you can go and find out if your neighbours are on the sex offenders register. You can go to whatever I don't know, the police station or whatever, and it'll it'll tell you if any sex offenders are in your neighbourhood. So he's clearly got a bit of a 
paranoid complex. Yeah, so he's got those weapons for personal protection mm-hmm. because he's a nonce. Yeah, and now he's going to go to prison without his weapons. And we all know what happens to nonces in prison. And I wonder if Judge Lacey, I wonder if Judge Lady Stacy knows what happens to nonces in prison. And that's why she's hit him with a full five years. <sighs> I remember reading years ago in Glasgow, this German guy, he was here, he was in here, he was in Glasgow on holiday, and he had one of these little sort of, like, you know the kind of famous little mini gun. I think it's called a Derringer. So it's like a sort of lady's handbag, hand it? So he, yes. he had a... <laughs> He had a a gun like that, but it wasn't it wasn't like a proper gun. It was like a gun that fired sort of ball bearings. Um, obviously illegal in the UK. Could still harm somebody uh, really badly. Potentially kill them if it hit them in the wrong place. But he was in Exchange Square in Glasgow. This is like this is when I lived in Glasgow. So this is like not long not long after I moved back there. So like early two thousands. I read about it. So he's getting to a fight on Exchange Square with someone. He's punched this guy and knocked him down. He's got on top of him. He's given him a couple of digs. And then he's pulled this little gun out of his pocket and then shot him at point blank in his chest. Oh. Um, they, fortunately, the guy, uh, he was he was obviously hurt, but he wasn't he wasn't killed. But I remember reading it and thinking, like, one, how did you get it into the country in the first place? And two, if you've punched somebody and knocked them down on the ground, you've won the fight already. Why do you feel... What's, what's with the kind of the kind of coup de grace? Uh, with a ball bearing gun at the end. I think it's basically like a little mini air pistol, you know, that sort of thing, mm. but more potent. So, does it say in the article, uh, you say Simon imported these weapons? Well, he's obviously smuggled them in from the... Well, they, they've said that he imported them from the Czech Republic, and I think they kind of mean that he's brought them in himself, because I don't think you'd be able... I don't think you'd be able to order them off Amazon or eBay and so they would get into the country. I don't know. Maybe you could. No idea. I th- I think you can actually, yeah. I think you can get order weapons. It's probably just pot luck if it gets through customs. Yeah, either either your weapon turns up at the door or some customs officers and the police turn up at your door to arrest you. So yeah, so Simon's off to prison. I guess he'll go to Craig Inchies. Is Craig Inchies a prison in Aberdeen, isn't it? Uh, yes, it is. Yeah, uh, but then he might go to Peterhead. I'm not sure. I may go up your head if he's a uh, because they send. I know they send. Uh, they send uh, sex cases there, don't they? Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. So that's probably where he's going to end up and have a lovely five years. A lovely five years. Yeah. So yeah. Well, what's your next story? Well, Peter, I, I I don't know if he smuggled them in or if he ordered them online. But in terms of like a a, a lipstick stun gun or a pepper spray, I'd imagine the postage on that is quite light if he'd ordered this. Not like uh, the bigot who battered stranger in Old Firm Day Attack after ordering a cement-filled baseball bat online. <laughs> this is a, a story from the Daily Record this week. Uh, it's it's John Duff. Uh, a gentleman. Any relation from to Glasgow? The, any relation to Jim Duff, the garden wanker? I don't think it is. No. <laughs> I don't think so. He had his bail revoked after the sheriff said that his background reports on him were the most disturbing that he had ever read. Uh, did I say this was from Glasgow earlier? I'm sorry. I beg to differ. Where do you think this is from? Falkirk. Duff, 23, appeared for sentencing at Falkirk Sheriff Court today after pleading guilty last month to the attack on a 52-year-old in front of horrified Sunday afternoon shoppers 
outside Tesco's at Falkirk Central Retail Park. Uh, the basic gist of the story is that Duff had been at the old firm game. Uh, then he'd come back and he just went to town with this baseball bat. An inquiry report had been prepared on him and it revealed that he ordered a cement-filled baseball bat on the internet with the desire to cause somebody harm. So he has literally just been at the old firm game. Result hasn't gone his way. He's went out and just decided to somebody's getting it with us. Uh, they had to recall, you know, psychologist and psychiatric reports on him. And they're going to give it. Uh, he's pled guilty, which is fair enough, because I imagine there's quite a lot of witnesses. But he's a first offender, which I find very strange that you would just do that for your first offence. That's that's quite a, a a big thing to go for. Did it say how old he was? Uh, um, it has. He he's twenty three. Oh, hey. But they had a look at his psychological report and they said it's probably one of the most disturbing reports that they've ever read. So no continuation of this, no bail, that's it. You're staying in there until we actually have the court case. So they've said to him, I hope we appreciate the reasons for that, but you will see that you ordered a cement-filled baseball bat on the internet and obviously you wanted to cause somebody harm. So you're going to be remanded in custody. Did I say custody? Yeah. It's because I was editing last week's episode about the custard. <laughs> and that's why I'm saying custody. Uh, we're going to be remanded into custody. He's going to need a lot more information on this before he passes sentence. So Duff had uh, gritted his teeth and foamed at the mouth as he battered the shopper outside Tesco's. He kicked him to the ground and called him a Fenian bastard. He left his victim with eye damage. He'd only gone to the supermarket to collect his wife from shopping, is what happened. Right. And then had this unprovoked assault on this complete stranger. He saw the guy, he got out of his car, and then he saw that he was wearing a ranger scarf. Right. So he then approached him, and I'm just going to... Shall I say the language? Ah, will I get into trouble for saying the language? I've said it already, haven't I? Yeah. Uh, he shouted, Fenian bastards, fucking prick, fucking cunt. He was gritting his teeth, phoning at the mouth, and pushed him and shouted, you're nothing but a Fenian bastard. The, the guy he was assaulting tried to walk away, but he was repeatedly punched in the face. Uh, he got kicked twice in the head whilst Duff was still sh- calling him a Fenian bastard. A security approached, and Guy tried to get to his car and tried to phone the police and then but the security guard had called them. They arrived within minutes. So uh, he was arrested and his anything you say may be taken in evidence. Uh, so he did say, dirty fucking Fenian bastard deserved it. Now, this is someone that he doesn't know mm. and he's never met before. Uh, so we think we don't know. Maybe there's someone else going on there. So, yeah, he suffered serious eye injuries, uh, which left him in pain and with blurred vision for three months, and he also chipped a tooth. Unmarried, Duff, probably a blessing he's unmarried, he did plead guilty on uh, the incident which occurred uh, around 2.45pm on a day when Rangers beat Celtic 2-1 at Celtic Park. So one of the first questions I would have to say is, he was wearing a Ranger scarf, he's calling everyone Fenian bastards. His team won. Why is he so upset? Yeah, it sounds. I think. I guess that's how. Uh, guess that's how some people celebrate when their team wins, right? No idea. My second question is: How much is postage on a concrete-filled baseball bat? I mean, before we get to postage, my question would be: How do you make a concrete-filled baseball bat in the first place? And who's making them? 
That's a good point. I, I don't really want to go searching for that, although I'd imagine on Wish.com you can probably find anything. Yeah. As I think we've said before, in fact, I edited out, I think, I, I was looking at a proper TJ Hooker nightstick on Wish.com. One night when I'm drunk, I'll end up buying that, and the police will turn up at my door asking me why I've ordered a nightstick online. You see, you, could, you see, if you wait until close to October, you could say it's for your big boss man Halloween costume. That is a genius idea. You know something? I've never thought about going as a big boss man for Halloween. But now I think about it, that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, the wife would never go with it. No. Because she'd want to dress up as, as a kind of complimentary character. So, I mean, who could she dress... Who, she could dress up as the Mountie, something like that. Uh, <laughs> it could be the Mountie. Nails was kind of big boss man's foe for a while. Right. He was a, a prisoner... That was his gimmick, right. Nails. Right. He was in the Correctional Institute. He wore an orange jumpsuit okay. when he wrestled. I seem to recall the big boss man in the Mountie doing a tag, being a tag team at one, not like for, maybe just like for a one-off, for like one event, not like a regular tag team like the Heart Foundation or the Legion of Doom or something, but like for a one-off. In the same way that um, I remember uh, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage being, uh, being a tag team at one point for an event. Yeah, the Mega Powers, they were a tag team for... A while, actually, those two. Yeah. Oh, really? I thought it was just for, like... It was just for WrestleMania, like, one of the WrestleManias. No, it was... Well, I mean, a little while. It was a, it was a small period, yeah. Right, right. The Mega Powers. There was a whole storyline that... And then Savage thought that Hogan was trying to steal Miss Elizabeth away, and that's why they split up. And then that ended up in their big match at WrestleMania, kind right. of the feud. And Macho Man was a bit of a slag, because then he ended up going out, going out. He ended up pairing up with the, the Ultimate Warrior as well. Mm. And they were a tag team. I think yeah. they were called the uh, the ultimate maniacs. I think <laughs> ah, the golden the golden years of wrestling. Look, I got, I've got one more story. I know I, I know it's unusual that I have three, but uh, whereas until I found out that our man in Aberdeen was on was was on the child effect, the sex offenders register, I thought he'd been treated a little harshly. This guy, I feel, has got off well easy. So. This is, um, I'm probably going to like murder his name. He's an Asian fella. Uh, Saklane, Saklane Ali Beg. Um, I think I'll just refer to him as Ali Beg from now on. So he was caught with his, with his drug stash at Kilmarnock Prison after going to visit his pal. He had cocaine on his hands. So he'd obviously be having a couple of bumps in the car if he went in. I'm assuming that when you go into the, when you go into a, a, a prison to visit somebody, they do that, uh, sort of UV light thing or the, or whatever, or a swab thing. I mean, it happened to me at, um, Dubai airport when I was transiting through, no, was it Dubai? Dubai or Qatar airport? I can't remember, but I was transiting through somewhere and they, they sort of like swabbed my bag and everything and they put the swab through like a little, um, reader thing to see if the any drug residue in there. So I guess they do the same in prison. It's meant to be for any gunpowder. Oh, right, okay, okay. But in the Middle East, it's for drugs as well. Yeah, yeah. So this, the story says a, a dopey dealer was caught with drugs worth thousands of pounds at a prison after going to see his pal with cocaine on his hands. A court was told how Ali Beg, 25, had MDMA, cocaine and ketamine hidden in dummy iron brew and hairspray cans and stashed in his car in the, as it sat in the car park at Kilmarnock's Bowhouse Prison. But when he went to see his unnamed friend, prison security checks revealed there were traces of the deadly Class A drug cocaine on his hands. Uh, cops at the prison detained him under Section 23 of the Misuse of Drugs Act 1971 and searched his car. The search revealed a bag of stash cans sitting in the front passenger footwell 
of his car. He had MDMA, which is more commonly, which is MDMA, Nicky, uh, just so you know, is more commonly known as ecstasy. So Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. Um, in, oh, n- never knew that. In both tablet and crystal form. He had seven... Yeah, crystal's better. <laughs> the seven, he had 78 tablets uh, of ecstasy and 19 grams which were split over of MDMA, which were split over 35 bags worth a total of £1,500. There were 43 bags of cocaine weighing at a total of 31 grams and apparently worth £1,400. The ketamine was worth uh, it was worth £308 split over 19 bags and weighed a total of 31 grams. Investigations revealed that Baig's fingerprints were on various packaging the drugs were stored in. But prosecutors accepted that the drugs weren't intended for supply into the prison. He had previously pled guilty to being concerned in the supply of the three drugs in exchange for three other charges being dropped. His not guilty fees were accepted to charges of supplying cannabis, possessing LSD, which apparently is more commonly known as acid. Again, oh, every day is a, a every day is a school day, and being concerned in the supply of psychedelic drug, which I've never heard of before, four bromo, two comma five dimethoxapentylene, which apparently is more commonly known as two CB or Nexus. Never heard of that before. I d- no, I've never heard of that. No. And um, Beg, who comes from Gifnick near Glasgow, for people, for those of you who aren't who aren't familiar with the various locales in Glasgow, Gifnick is quite an upmarket part of town. There's there is money in Gifnick. It's like the South Side's Bears Den. Um, There's drug money in Gifnick, apparently. <laughs> apparently so. So yeah, his defence solicitor Ian Sivright, a partner in law firm GWSolicitors.com, he got a little plug there, Mr. Sivright, said Beg was from a very close family, and that had what that had, that was what had brought about his criminality. He explained that he lives with his mum and dad and his younger siblings. His father was the main breadwinner, but around two or three years ago, his father began experiencing financial difficulties and experiencing some mental health difficulties. So Mr. Beg basically took on responsibility for support and his family. His mother was also suffering from ill health. This took a toll on him and was to the detriment of his own mental health. He took the decision to turn to the use of drugs as a crutch to support him. He then accumulated debts and was put under pressure to become involved in the supply of drugs. I think Ali Beg has got a very, very good solicitor in Mr. Sivright. Um, Sheriff George Jameson could have jailed Beg, who the court heard works as the manager of a cafe for up to five years for his offences, but he opted to place him on a restriction of liberty order, which will see him fitted with an electronic tag and having to abide by a daily 8pm to 6am curfew for only eight months. As he did so, he said, you're obviously a gentleman of good character, apart from this. <laughs> yeah, he's a gentleman of good character who's got a mate in, who's got a mate in jail in Kilmarnock <laughs> and thousands of pounds worth of drugs lying in the stair, in the fucking footwell of his car. You found yourself in a difficult situation at a young age due to the health issues of both your parents. Despite the locus of the offence, it was pointed out on the last occasion this was not supplied to the prison. So I think Ali Beg has won a fucking watch in court uh, last week. Um, because, you know, if somebody gets sent to prison for five years, albeit he was in the sex offenders register, but for owning a load of like, self-defence illegal weapons, then this guy... <laughs> this guy... Had, let me add it up, um, 20, 50, almost 100 grams of various drugs plus tablets in his car. And he manages to 
walk off into the sunset with a fucking ankle bracelet. As you said, uh, his solicitor got a, a nice little bit of publicity in that note. Exactly. Yeah. He deserves everything because holy shit, whatever Ali paid him is worth its weight in the amount of grams of drugs that he was caught with because he has got him off on a, a cracking deal there. Well done. I salute you, solicitor man. Yeah, absolutely, Mr. Sivright. I used to have a history teacher called Mr. Called Mr. Sivright when I went to school in Aberdeenshire. I wonder if he's any relation. So yeah, I was quite, I was quite blown away by that. Just uh, how, how he's, how he's, uh, he's walked away from um, those offences. As we see on the Swally, though, some of the sentences you get for some of the crimes, you know, they vary so much, and it does just kind of depend on what way the wind is blowing that day, what the the judge has had for tea that afternoon, it totally depends. Some people get ridiculous sentences, some people get strange ones. Look at the homeless guy last week that got, what, four years in prison for, mind you, he did batter the guy like 12 times with a champagne bottle, but, (laughs) you know, I guess there's only so far the self-defence plea can go. Indeed. Okay, so I think that concludes the news for this week. Shall we have a little look at something from from Scotland? By all means, it was your choice uh, this week. So why don't you introduce what we're going to be talking about? It certainly was. And I thought I would pick something quite light and quite short to start off the the new year. So my choice this week was Gary's War, which I I don't know how many people will be familiar with, but it was a a 23-minute show which aired on More 4 in 2008. It's the creation of Scottish actor and writer Greg McHugh, and Gary began life at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2006 for a, a brief sketch before returning in 2007 for a, a slightly longer show. The character of Gary was then featured in a couple of sketches on a Channel 4 comedy, comedy lab show called Blowout. And on the back of that, More 4 commissioned this pilot that we're going to speak about today. On the back of that pilot, the BBC got in touch with Greg and said to him, if, if you ever want to make a sitcom about this, you know, get in touch, which ended up leading in a three-series run of Gary Tank Commander, which is probably what he's best known for. But today, we're going to just speak about the pilot, Gary's War. So, uh, Gary's War is a kind of interview with Gary after he's just come back from the front line in Iraq, and it takes us upon his return home and about his experiences on the front line. Now, I've seen this quite a few times before, but was this the first viewing for you, Greg? It was the first time I'd ever seen it, and I've never watched Gary Tank Commander. I'm not sure why. I'm going to watch it now, because I enjoyed this. I found it really funny. Um, but yeah, I'd never, um, I'd never se- I've never seen this uh, pilot. I don't think I'd even heard about it. So, do you, do you, did you see it when it first came on? But you, you weren't in the UK then. You were to be in Dubai in 2008, right? I saw this when it first aired, but I, not live, but very soon after. I cannot, for the life of me, remember how or where I found out about this. But somehow I did. And I remember seeing this, and then I remember watching Gary, Tank Commander, the series, as it came out. I, I don't know if it was maybe a podcast that Greg had been on, or a news article, like in the Daily Record or something, about it. But I, I definitely remember seeing this quite early on and really enjoying it now we will do the series at some point and once you've watched it and once i revisit it again the series is quite different from the pilot in that the the bbc decided to take out kind of the the more satirical aspects of this 
little short. And the series is kind of more kind of campy surrealism, but it works very well. It's very funny, and there's a lot of good Scottish comedy actors that appear in the series. Obviously, in this short, there's only like five, six people in the cast at most, and and you know, three of those are his friends in Iraq that you don't really see properly because it's all done on, on grainy YouTube-style videos back in the day. And of course, this was from 2008, so, you know, very early on, and focuses on the kind of 2003 war that we had in Iraq. So I guess my first question is, did you enjoyed this though? Yeah, I did. I'd, I'd, I'd seen him, the, the first thing that I saw Greg McHughan, that I watched him in, was Fresh Meat, the Channel 4 sort of comedy about the uh, students in Manchester with Jack Whitehall and a few other people that have gone on to become quite successful in uh, one shape or form. Um, but yeah, I found it really funny. Like when I was when I was watching it, his accent to me sounded like very East Coast, not quite Fife, but maybe sort of West Lothian, you know. Um, but when I was reading up on it, he's supposed to be back in. Bannockburn near Stirling, right? And the the people in Stirling don't. I mean, my grandfather came from Stirling, and I've got some family from there. They don't, I mean, they are a, they are a wee bit sort of Urwillyish in their the way they talk. But um, but yeah, I mean, I I found it really really funny, and I was it, it was quite surprising because they, you mentioned earlier how when it got commissioned for a TV series, they took out some of the satire, and in the in the short in the in Gary's War, the satire is quite an important part of it. You know, his his interpretation of the why the Gulf War happened and eh, sorry, why the two thousand and three conflict happened, etc. But I was quite surprised by the way he describes nine eleven or nine ten eleven as he describes it. Because this like you mentioned this came out in two thousand and eight. So it's only sort of seven years after like nine eleven. It's kind of I was watching it and you know he's, he's I mean, he's, he sails really close to just taking the outright, the outright piss out of what's obviously a terrible fucking tragedy and disaster. And I was thinking to myself, is he really saying this? You know, I mean, even like, I think about something like Family Guy, which, so I, nothing is really off the table for the guys who write Family Guy, you know, in terms of some of the humour. But I don't think they've ever touched... 9-11. It never to the, never got anywhere near it. So yeah, I was really surprised. It's obviously, it's obviously right near the beginning of the programme um, as he's talking about 9-10-11. How <laughs> he can't remember when he was. I suppose it all started with that 9-10-11. Do you remember that? Where those, um, those Rajis took the planes for like a joyride, flew them into the buildings. Yeah, it's the off-the-cuff way that he does deliver the... It was about that uh, 9, 10, 11, do you remember that? And he goes into detail about how he doesn't remember it because, well, I wasn't in New York at the time. <laughs> and <laughs> about all these, these Rajis that took the, a plane for a joyride. And, it, yeah, it's, it's delivered. That's the, the beautiful thing about Gary, and that's what Greg has described him as, effectively. Like... Gary's, he's simple, mm. but he's not stupid. Like, you know, you can tell he's kind of a, a switched on kind of guy, but he's not stupid. He's not the brightest, but he's lovable. And, and that kind of embodies Gary as, yeah. as a character. He is a, a lovable idiot in a way. But yeah, you're right. He's sailing so close to the wind with some of the stuff he says about that. And I mean, later on, there's a lot of stuff that he says. <laughs> you're like, 
Oh my God. I can't believe he's just said that. But it's so funny and it works. But was that the kind of time you're thinking it previous to that it would have been too close and now everyone is so so terrified of offending anyone or upsetting anyone you know that stuff probably wouldn't sail well today either so i I think it was the kind of perfect cusp Mm -hmm. of time and it was on more for 2008 it's kind of probably just the edgy right thing whereas the bbc were like no we're gonna calm that down we're gonna have more scenes of you arguing with a a woman in the army cafeteria about what constitutes a plate of chips uh which (laughs) you will see when you watch the series uh rather than speaking about why iraqis hit statues with flip-flops i I can remember being quite although i didn't watch it for whatever reason but i was obviously aware of Gary Tank Commander and I I saw I knew it was about it was a sort of comedy about the army. And I remember thinking, well, that is quite surprising too, because obviously all through that conflict in Iraq, there was stories in the paper about, you know, soldiers being British soldiers being killed there, kinda of coming back horrendously like wounded with life changing injuries and things and I remember thinking, well, imagine making a right now making a comedy about the army, you know, when the sort of the view of the soldier, the British soldier, was you know they the, not quite not quite the same way as they are in the US. The way they revere these troops as six like fucking I don't know as sort of saints and fighting for freedom and they they take it too far there. But I do remember there was a, a wee bit of that in the UK, particularly when that conflict was at its peak. And I remember th- being quite surprised that they would have a comedy about it because I, I can't really think of many sitcoms about. Like the army, like the, the only two that spring to mind, the like first one's obviously Dad's Army, but that's about the home front. You know, it's not really about proper soldiers. And then the old Eight Half Hot Mum about the. I, mean, I, I, I that's kind of before my time, so I, I know it's a kind of military comedy. I don't, I, I couldn't really tell you without getting my phone out what conflict it's set in or anything like that. So you know, I, I felt like quite a bold thing to do it's true there's not a lot of comedy to be found in war there's not a huge amount of comedy war films i guess tropic thunder maybe Mm -hmm. but that's more of like a kind of film set in terms of sitcoms i guess you have mash which is probably the go-to the inspiration from gary actually came from uh one of britain's most beloved war set sitcoms which was Allo, Allo. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. Gary it was kind of loosely based on René from Allo, Allo. Right. In terms of this comedy character that's kind of a... Gary is he's meant to be written as like the most unlikely person you could get to be in the army. Right. And, you know, René is kind of you know, this bumbling kind of you know, guy that finds himself in this situation, but is, you know, quite an unlikely hero. In a way, I, mean, I don't know. I fucking hated a low, a low. I never liked it. No. Yeah. No. I mean, I, I can remember it. it was a sort of Saturday night BBC staple. I can remember watching it with my granny and granda, and I stayed there at the weekends. But yeah, no. I mean, I, the thing about the character he plays is, like, to your point, is he's incredibly likable, even when he's <laughs> the bit. The bit that, probably the bit that made me laugh the most is when he's talking about shooting Davy P in the boss with the air rifle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just the way he builds it. It's the, he sort of builds it and builds it. <laughs> and it's the little offhand comments. He went, you know, he, he, he came out of the community hall. He, he was limping, so he probably just came out the scouts. You know, <laughs> it's... 
He shot him in the balls. Um. <laughs> and it, it's the delivery of those lines when, yeah. you know, he gets home to his dad and his dad says, well, me could do this for a career. What, shooting Davy P in the balls? <laughs> <laughs> no, the army. Huh. And he's got that smile. He's got that kind of toothy smile that he does. You know, when he's 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 supposed to be kind of asking the person behind the camera, you know, sort of questions. And, you know, he says, do you know what a Raj is? And he gives him a wee smile and he starts to explain what a, his his sort of definition of a Raj, which is a real sort of East Coast um, kind of insult, calling somebody a Raj. I don't think you would get many people calling each other Rajis in the West Coast of Scotland. And it's a beautiful part of it that, it, and I, I don't know if this was Greg's intention or, you know, if it was who came up with this idea, but it's very much like a, of that time, kind of the army videos, you know, things would flash up on the screen, be the best. Yeah. And as he's speaking, it's coming up with, do you know what a Raj is? And, you know, army type. And it just adds so much. Stab. <laughs> To the actual show, seeing it there, it's almost like it's subtitled, but in yeah. <laughs> in a great way. But yeah, that would, that really made me. And the, the the other thing he said, you know, when Davy P's dad came round to complain to my dad, my dad said, "I'll kick fuck out of Gary after the football," but he never kicked fuck out me. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I I was watching it. I was trying to sort of. I couldn't decide whether he had a. A sort of wider objective, you know, going back to the the sort of satire of it, you know, was he trying to? I mean, I, I think by I think by the end of it, I decided that his objective was just to be funny and make something that we could everybody could enjoy and laugh at. But I did think, is he trying to say something a bit more profound about the British Army or the Gulf War or whatever? But I'm not so sure he was. I think he just. I I think he did say that. He had found that nobody was making anything comedy-wise about Iraq or Afghanistan at the time. Mm -hmm. And I guess it's the same as anything. You see kind of a niche in the market, you're going to go for it. Mm -hmm. And he just came up with, okay, well, I'll come up with this character of Gary. And he is so beloved now in Scottish culture in terms of Gary. And people are always shouting to him in the street, Gary, and it's it's become you know, part of who he is. And I think that was the thing he, I guess, spotted just this kind of niche. Mm. That something needed this in terms of comedy. Yeah. And I, I think the first two series of Gary Tank Commander were only screened in Scotland, but I think the third series was screened nationwide. So at least our, our friends in England got to experience a bit of Gary. I feel like it was in BBC Three. They were maybe that series you're talking about, right? Maybe? Don't know. Possibly. The the videos that you mentioned that the I mean they look like they're sort of early camera phone videos. They're supposed to be of him and these the him and his I guess his his, his comrades f- fanning about in uh, on the base. <laughs> the one of those that really made me laugh is when he's he's dressed up as Saddam Hussein. <laughs> Got another guy dressed up as Bin Laden. This guy, this other guy, just dressed up as Doctor Evil from Austin Powers, <laughs> and they're messing about. And then you hear a, "Hey, what the fuck's going on here?" And they're like, "Oh shit!" And they turn, and the guy comes out wearing a burka, <laughs> his helmet on the top. So the the first burning question I have is when just after Gary is speaking about nine, ten, eleven, and you know that he wasn't in New York at the time, and he's saying it's like it. You know, it it's one of those things that people say you always remember where you were. Like in the 60s when that guy from the Bee Gees got shot. <laughs> it's, 
Is that meant to be John Lennon? You know, it's supposed <laughs> it's to be JFK, isn't it? None of the Bee. I wasn't sure if it was John uh, JFK or John Lennon because obviously none of the Bee Gees got shot. But, but John Lennon got shot in 1980, so that that eliminate that eliminates him. But none of the Bee Gees have ever been shot, so no, that's that eliminates true. them. That's true. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I think the 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 whole. I'd always remember where I was when I think it's generally attested to JFK to his assassination. I think you know well that's a sort of classic. I'd always remember where I was when, uh, but I, I think it's also been replaced by nine ten eleven maybe. <laughs> We can't skip over the wonderful description of, I mean, Gary's kind of, the, the, the his justification for Tony Blair and George Bush deciding to evade Iraq was because Saddam couldn't have found his weapons and they came in to help him to find these weapons. And his description of George Bush and Saddam is like two drunk Glaswegians in a fight you know, having in the pub, having a fight, square go outside now, and it it's just beautiful the way he describes it. Of that, like you know, well, Saddam's like, oh well, you said this, and George is like, oh well, you want to take us outside? And Saddam's like, oh, I don't know where my weapons are. <laughs> Hold me back, Tony. <laughs> but the ultimate is that everyone needs to stay together because you don't want to piss off the Chinese because the Chinese are all martial arts trained. <laughs> and he says, "Was it?" He says, "I mean, I." I, I love Chinese food. Their chips are magic, eh? <laughs> it's true, though. They are. <laughs> yeah, great see. chips from a, a Chinese restaurant in uh, in Scotland. Great chips. Yeah, that made me laugh. The, the, the other bit that made me laugh is when he's talking about how his dad had asked him to bring him back a jar of sand from a desert in Iraq and he'd forgotten. So he realised he could just go and buy a bag of sand from B&Q and he starts giving jars of sand to his relatives and he's got sort of hell man <laughs> Iraq. It's like so. Ju- just for a laugh, I wrote East Coast Bride on one of the labels. <laughs> He's talking about one of his relatives going, "Oh, it was it. What do they call it? East uh, East Colbrady or something like that. They call it. I saw that in the news. That's a really dangerous province." And he's like, "Idiots." <laughs> But that shows Gary's not stupid. Yeah. He's got the nouse to go to B and Q and get the sand, get the jar, and then he's thought, "I know, I'll play a, a trick here." He's not stupid in that regard. And then when he he, he he meets his friend, the girl, and he gives her a obviously a a painting that's been requisitioned from a palace in Iraq of Saddam Hussein with a machine gun. It's a, it's a beautiful painting, though. <laughs> But I mean, the thing is, it's it's done. It's done pretty straight, really. You know what I mean? There's no it, there's no sort of silliness about it. Like, there's no sort of obvious over the top silliness of it. Just like, oh, I've got a present for you. Oh, a present for me. And then the next scene, and she's ripping open, and she's like, oh, Gary, that's brilliant. <laughs> you know, and there's no, you know, he, he doesn't need to say, oh, I found it in a palace in Iraq. <laughs> you know, because. It's, <laughs> It's so well done. You can tell by the frame that it, you know it's a good quality, uh, expensive frame in this picture. It's it's you know it's a well rendered portrait of Saddam Hussein. It's a sort of picture that you you could imagine a dictator having of himself hanging on the wall. You know, they him with a machine gun in his hand, pictures of his images of his various conquests and victories in the background and. All that. It's just. I mean, I think it it shows a real sort of deaf touch because he was only. I think he's. I think I read he was born. He's a couple of years younger than me, uh, Greg McHugh. So he'd be in his sort of late twenties. But like you said earlier, he hadn't really. Apart from take going to the fringe, he hadn't done anything. He hadn't done anything on TV. And it just. 
it shows like a real sort of instinct for comedy and he's always he, he, he trusts the audience to get that joke without him explaining any more about it it's just he, you know it's a, it's a brilliant prop her reaction is brilliant she's like oh, but, but who's like, she doesn't know who, who he is and he's like it's Saddam Hussein she's like oh well, yeah, that's brilliant and then the next shot is just them sort of stood smiling beside the, beside the portrait so it's it's just this really the like, really clever light touch I thought that little scene it's really good there is a lot of that in this there's a lot of light touches that are so funny there's the odd obvious joke and one of my favourites is near the start when he's going into the, the flats and he's walking up the stairs and there's the graffiti <laughs> Kelly is a slag and he just goes she is <laughs> but, but, but even that you know he just it, it takes his time he, he takes a second or two to yeah. sort of read it and then he kind of turns <laughs> He doesn't, and he, again, a beat or two goes by, and she is. You know, it's it, it's fantastic comic timing, and it's so well delivered. Just two words, she is, and it's it's beautiful, it's so well done. And you know, we've all seen graffiti like that in a stairwell or you know places, and it, it, oh, it's yeah, that made me laugh so much. You know, almost as much as the Saddam painting. That was brilliant. Um, I know that uh, he's. He's, he's, he's done quite well, uh, Greg McHugh, over the last couple of years. He was on... I never saw it. And somebody told me that I should watch it because it's really good. But there's a, a show called The A-Word. And uh, it stars Christopher Eccleston as the father of a boy with autism. And Greg McHugh plays his... No, he's the grandfather of a boy with autism. And Greg McHugh plays his son. And I, I did see a wee clip of it. I can't remember. If, I don't know. Maybe it was in the BBC or something. And he's it's set in Manchester. And he, he, he does a good North of England accent. Greg McHugh. Got to give it to him. He is phenomenal as, as you touched upon earlier, as Howard in Fresh Meat. And that yeah. was the... The first two roles I'd seen him in was Gary Tank Commander and then Fresh Meat. Couldn't be two more opposite of the spectrum, apart from they're both Scottish. Yeah. And he's he's amazing. And of course, I know him from the original pilot of Two Doors Down. And that was the reason I picked this, because he's been cast in season two of the Scottish drama Guilt, which right. was on the BBC last year. I don't know if you've seen that. No, I've not seen it. So we'll maybe review that at some point. That's uh, I haven't watched that either, but it's meant to be fantastic. But he's been cast in series two of that. So that was why he kind of popped into my head and I decided to do Gary. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's done really well for himself and good on him because he's so talented as well. Like he's brilliant with his performances. I mean, I watched this, I watched it twice in a row because like I mentioned to you before we started recording, I had a busy week last week and I didn't have time to, I just didn't have time to watch it. And so today, obviously it's Friday here, so it's the weekend. So I watched it uh, just to kind of watch it as a, without taking any notes. I don't know how you'd describe that, non-critically. And uh, obviously I laughed at all the, the bits, all the kind of funny clips of it that you and I have just discussed. But then I watched it back, like straight away. I just put it back to the start and watched it again. And all those things made me laugh as just as hard as they did the first time. And obviously I was trying to take some notes and I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. So I kept so that second time I because I was laughing so much and obviously it's not it's not filmed like for anybody who's not seen it, it's not filmed with like a laugh track or anything. It's it's sort of shot as the sort of part testimonial part 
documentary about this supposed Scottish soldier coming home and leave and um, so he's not waiting for me to stop laughing before he moves on to the next thing so I kept having to kind of bring it back but yeah I really enjoyed it I'm, I'm, in, I'm in sort of in because of what you said about how they've taken when they made the TV show when they, they spun it off into its own series and they took some of the satire out I'm wondering if I'm if I might not enjoy it as much if they've sort of softened it a wee bit I don't know I think you will because you're probably familiar with the character but they, they make a bigger thing out of the, the female friend it puts a lot more onus on his friends as well so the three guys you see in the, the video mm-hmm. it makes a, a big thing of them right and they're all it's basically about their life in the barracks and stuff they get up to it's not like a still game. It's not like a Rab Nez, but it's more like a kind of, I can't remember the name of it, but like a, you know, a sitcom, you know, about the parks department. Was it Greengrass or uh, something? Dear, like, Dear Green Place, it's called. It's 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 more akin to kind of, you know, yeah. that kind of humour that gets more, I think. But it is very good. There's not any jokes about, and my favourite part of the show, and as you said, I watched this, I've seen this a few times, but I watched it again last week to make notes for the Swally, and I watched it again the other day just because I wanted to, because Mm -hmm. it just tickled me so much. And I have watched this part probably about four or five times today because it just stuck in my head and I laugh at so much. And it is about when he's talking about, well, first of all, they've captured Saddam and Mm -hmm. it's it's beautiful that they play Leave Right Now by Will Young. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and they're showing these sad photos of Saddam getting his gum checked for the big cotton bud and yeah. playing, I think I better leave right now. <laughs> it's just so beautiful. And then it cuts to Gary saying that they were out in the streets of Iraq and everyone's celebrating and they're giving out sweets. And, you know, you couldn't get away with giving out sweets back home nowadays. It's not like squinty-eyed bot. <laughs> and he's describing when he was a kid. And squinty-eyed Bob was kind of in their neighbourhood. And he used to go out giving out sweets. Because there was a boy when, when I was growing up, right? Squinty-eyed Bob. That's what he used to do. You know, he was always like, ah, do you want a sweetie? Do you want a sweetie? Do you want to get in my car? Do you want a sweetie? Because um, eventually, you know, everyone knew Bob because uh, he, was, he was a local, he was a local pedo. But folk never minded him that much. Eventually, it was, it was actually just part of the community. Folk accepted him. The other bit that made me laugh is when he was his theory about Gordon Brown. He's like, he's, he's only got one eye, like a pilot. Excuse me, no, it's Gordon Brown, Prime Minister. Oh yeah, yeah. it's like Long John Silver, Osama <laughs> Bin Laden, Gordon Brown, Prime Minister. <laughs> it's the, it's what is it? It's the triplets of terror. But he's talking about how he's, he's got one eye, like a pilot, and he's, have you noticed how he tends to? Obviously, this will be lost in the listeners. I'll just try and describe it, but he tends to sort of open his mouth but not say anything. And he's like, I always think he's going to say, like a pi- like a pirate. <laughs> his mate said he's got a wooden leg, but he doesn't believe it. <laughs> this The story about his mate's dad knocking fuck out of Tony Blair when they were at school together in Edinburgh and stealing, stealing an ice hockey stick off him. <laughs> which, which then turns out to be true when he meets Tony Blair and he asks him about it. Donnie Senior, the Raj. If we were to give out any of our 
Swally Awards. I mean, I, I think we can. Ewan McGregor for nudity is a no go. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the James Cosmo Award for has been in everything, I, I think we can't give that because you know Greg McHugh's been in quite a lot, but mm-hmm. hasn't been in that much really. Uh, what are we left with? I mean, the, the best use of swearing. Best use of swearing um, is probably that scene that we mentioned earlier when they're dressing up in the barracks. <laughs> the guy shouts in the background, "What the fuck's going on here?" And then he turns up with the burka on with the helmet on top. That, that would be my nomination for the, the Francis Begbie Award for Best Swearing, I think. My nomination is the very last scene when the end credits are rolling and he's got his helmet on. He's got the music, the dance music pumping and he says... How good is this, eh? I've got a link up to my iPod. It's loud as fuck, like. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Archetypal Scottish moment. Is it shooting Davy P in the boss? <laughs> I had two for that. It was Raj's, mm. or it was shooting Davy P in the boss. I did consider Kelly's a slag. <laughs> But I thought that was quite a UK-wide thing that you would see that graffiti in kind of like a, a Brixton doorway. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think shooting Davy P in the balls could be up there for our archetypal Scottish moment. And then I guess probably the only one, the only one that's left we could do is I don't, I don't think we can say best scene because it's it's not really like that. But it's sort of best moment for you. Best moment for me is probably without a doubt the squinty-eyed Bob. <laughs> Do you want a sweet? Do you want a sweet? Do you want to get in my car? Do you want a sweetie? <laughs> <laughs> like for me, it's either again shooting Davy P in the balls, just the way he describes it, or it might be the Tony Blair getting battered by Donny Senior at school in Edinburgh. <laughs> I think you have to give a shout out as well to the the moment she rips off the brown paper of the Saddam portrait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, yeah. Yeah, actually, that's probably my, that's probably my favourite one. It's quite unexpected. Like, you're like, what's going to happen here? And then as soon as you see it, if you're our age, you know exactly what that is. You know exactly where that's come from. <laughs> the other thing that makes it so funny is that, you know, in your, in your mind, the characters, like, brought that brought that on an aeroplane back from the war. <laughs> it's quite it's quite a big portrait. You know, it's, 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 it's going to have to have had checked it in that there was there's no way that was going in an overhead compartment on a plane you know as we see though t- towards the end when gary is going off to afghanistan yeah he's packing his camo hair dryer <laughs> gary's got all the ways he's got all, it's, <laughs> you miss it the first time but he's got all the gear laid out in the bed and i think that's why he picks it up the camo <laughs> hair dryer again i mean you know, I mean, I know, I know, we're, I know, we're almost at the kind of wrapping up point, but some of the subtleties, like when, when he's being interviewed in the, I guess it's supposed to be a sort of garage, the Land Rover's behind him, and he's got like a sort of black blazer on, but he's got a chain and he's got a pair of sunglasses hanging off the chain that you you can only see at certain moments, like when he moves, because the lighting is kind of low in that scene in the garage. It's kind of dark and everything. And you're thinking, oh, he's sort of, he's quite, a, he's quite a dresser. You know, he obviously likes his clothes. And this is him on the TV. He's got the smart blazer on. He's got, you know, the casual T-shirt, white T-shirt underneath. He's got his sunglasses hanging off of his chain. <laughs> you can see the top of Oh, that was life. the fashion back then, though, man. That yeah. was the fashion. Well, I mean, you'll know, you, you, you know this from living here in Dubai, but 
the way people wear sun, the, the way people carry their sunglasses about here is, I, I feel like slapping people. Like if you, you see people who put their sunglasses on backwards when they don't need them, instead of just like putting them in the case in their pocket, even like hanging them off the neck of their t-shirt if they're in the, you know, I get it. But they they, they, they wear them or they they wear them in the top of their head. I don't know why, but I don't know why. But there's something about somebody who goes around with a, and they're usually Oakleys. Right? You don't see anybody with a pair of like Ray-Bans on top of their head. It's usually Oakleys and look at, 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 at risk of upsetting people. Most people I know who like a pair of Oakleys are fannies for one reason or another. The one part to give a shout out to that we didn't mention that I, I did find also hilarious is when Gary is explaining about the mistakes that George Bush made and he compares it to his friend Jeannie who worked in the toilets in Waverley Station and accidentally locked up one night and left the elderly woman in and she had a stroke. She didn't die, not until three days later or three weeks <laughs> later. That's that's his explanation for we all make mistakes. Yeah, yeah. These things happen. I like when he says uh, she went to the toilet and he was like, it, it was for a shite or a piss. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, I have, I have actually, when the, the first bar job that uh, I ever had was in a, a little bar, a little kind of country pub in the northeast of Scotland. And we had a regular woman in there. She came in every day. Uh, I won't say her name, but she used to drink, she's an alcoholic, and she used to drink Baileys mixed with White and Mackay, very specific about the White and Mackay whiskey. You, you couldn't get away with grouse or anything. And she ran the B&B next door. And like I say, she was an alcoholic. She had, she had a stepson and he used to come up periodically to see his dad. And he was a big English fella. He was about, must have been about six, three, six, four. It was the first person I ever saw down a pint of lager. He uh, he would come in at 11 o'clock in the morning. He was, obviously, there's a problem with alcohol in this family and he could down a pint of lager like you or I could down a pint of water when we're really thirsty. And uh, unsurprisingly, this woman, she took a heart attack and died. Uh, and she was nice. We were sad when she died. She was a nice woman. She obviously had a problem. And he came up for the funeral. And I was, the one only time, I was only 18 and I was allowed to lock up. And I thought everybody had gone. And I locked up the bar. And I, they, the owners of the pub lived up the stairs. So I took the keys up and I went home. And apparently... Her stepson had fallen asleep in the toilet cubicle and I hadn't checked the toilets before before I left. And uh, the cleaner had gone in in the morning and she used to go in at sort of six in the morning because we served breakfast to any people that were staying in the hotel upstairs. And <laughs> she got the shock of her life when this six foot fucking four giant came lumbering out the toilet. Apparently... He had uh, polished off like half a bottle of Blue Label Smirnoff. There was like a half bottle in the gantry <laughs> and he had fin- He had fucking drank it and he probably helped himself to a few pints as well. He probably he, he probably thought he was in fucking heaven being locked in a pub overnight. I do the um, same though. Like, well, what am I going to do? I can't get out. I'll just drink until I fall asleep and then it'll be the morning and they'll let me out. I'm sure he could have raised the alarm somehow if he really wanted to get out of there. Yeah, fair play. <laughs> but that, yeah, when he was talking, when Gary was talking about his friend who works in the toilets at Waverley, it reminded me of that. So, I think, does that conclude uh, our discussion on good old Gary? I think it does. I think it does indeed. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I'm glad I could uh, introduce you to that. And I'm sure later on in the Swally, we can 
have a little look at Gary Tank Commander, at least the first series or so. So, uh, what are we going to do next week then? I thought, you know, we 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 gave each other a bit of an easy week this week with uh, with Gary's War after the scotch and rye marathon that we did for the last podcast but i thought we would do a movie next time and i'm going to go for a classic so i'm going to go for danny boyle's feature film debut set in edinburgh filmed in glasgow 1995's shallow grave oh i am so delighted with you because i i think i watched that quite recently and I, i i do want to watch it again and i don't think my wife has ever seen that so I'm going to love to show that to her. And also, so annoyed with you, because that was going to be one of my choices coming up. But never mind. I'm looking forward to, to watching that again, and I cannot wait to review Shallow Grave with you in a couple of weeks' time. Brilliant. Fantastic. Well, once again, happy 2021, everyone. I hope you have a wonderful year, and thank you so much for listening to this. Please seek out Gary Tank Commander or Gary's War. But seek out Gary Tank Commander as well after listening to this pod. And if you'd like to get in touch with us, you can follow us on Instagram at CultureSwallyPod. And please email us if you have anything you would like us to review or you see any news stories that you would like us to kind of touch upon on the show. Then you can get in touch with us on cultureswally at gmail.com or you can follow us on twitter we're not very active there but we are going to make that our new year's resolution at swally pod so until next time greg well next time i see you i'll see you in person indeed so you 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 will see me through the week <laughs> and not through the window no i don't think i'll see you through the week not this week you will see me through next week no but two weeks i'll see you i'll see you through the fortnight okay <laughs> not through the window Okay. <laughs> Have a good week. Thanks very much, man. Thank you. All the best. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Oh, no. Get yourself, Dave, fuck.